Well, hello, and welcome to an open discussion, an open dialogue on racial injustice and the Christian response. My name is Jacob Beach. I'm one of the pastors here at Scarlet City Church, and I am joined by Jenny Hunt, Pastor Jay O'Brien, and Melissa Reinhard. And the four of us are, at this moment, wanting to participate in an open conversation where we discuss some of the things that have been happening over the last two weeks, and certainly more than uh, uh, the last two weeks has this been something uh, that is um, many people experience and has been a reality for some, but it has been really thrown into the forefront of the conversation of society and culture and media uh, over the last two weeks since the murder of George Floyd. And what we're going to do over the next 40 plus minutes, is we want to have an open uh, dialogue on how we're feeling, some of our uh, responses to what's been happening, and, and some of the motivations for why we care about this. Now, we are very much aware that we are four white people uh, who attend a predominantly white church, and what this is not going to be is four experts telling you what to do, telling you how to think, what you're supposed to feel during this time. However, what this is going to be is for people who deeply, deeply care about this issue and have for multiple years, for some time, uh, had this on our hearts. It's been uh, for us a gospel issue, a faith-based issue that we approach racial injustice and the need for reform and uh, really just seeing all people uh, as, as human beings who deserve worth and deserve respect and deserve care and protection. And so we're going to have this conversation. We're inviting you into it. We are encouraging you to join in with us as a church community, as people, as friends, as families, as uh, 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 members of Scarlet City. Uh, this is going to be a conversation for Scarlet City. This is a family conversation. We would love, uh, uh, if there were different realities, to be having this conversation in this same room, but, but all of the pews would be, few, would be full and uh, uh, everyone being a part of this sort of uh, town hall uh, discussion. But realities are what they are, and so this is uh, how we would like to have it. And in the future, there's a chance that we may continue this on YouTube or in, in another digital format, but as of now, we just wanted to uh, get this conversation out there. And so let's just get started, guys. Let's have a, have a yeah, um, just a conversation with one another that's, yeah, recorded, obviously. So opening question. Um, open-ended opening question. How have you guys felt uh, over the last two weeks with what's been happening in our city, in our country, in your own hearts? How, how have you been processing this and, and feeling about it? Jay, why don't you start? Um, I think two predominant emotions and feelings. Uh, first, just this heavy sadness. Um, I feel like some of the recent videos that have come out, I don't think it's it's God's timing. This is happening during a pandemic. Already, there's a lot of thought on what is life about, and then just the reality in some of these videos that you can't miss just the pure injustice. And just grieving uh, for my black brothers and sisters just uh yeah just feeling that weight with them 
Um, and even in this week, as I've talked to to a number of them, wanting to give them space, not because many of many uh, um, pastors and friends who are black, some of them are the only friend or acquaintance of white people, and so everyone reaches out to them in this time. Everyone wants to talk to them. Everyone wants to have a panel and invite them on it. And so I'm actually, this is a breath of, that we can be for white people taking ownership on this issue and discussing it, I think, is really important, um, that we don't just put the onus on black people to take responsibility or any and as, minority. And as members of majority culture ourselves, it yeah. really is our responsibility to take up this issue as something that matters to us. Absolutely. And so I, I just have felt a lot of sadness, but then intermixed in that is this just resolve like <laughs> there are things to be done and we need to be about doing them uh, so the, those two emotions for me a lot of sadness but then this just conviction I'll be up early in the morning and and praying and thinking and um, yeah that's where I've been Melissa, how about you? I know, uh, actually, all four of us I know have participated in uh, some of the protests downtown and whatnot, but I'd, I'd love to hear how you've been processing some of this and, and some of what you've experienced being downtown as well. Yeah, so I think I've been all over the place in the last couple of weeks, to be honest. Like, I think just that grief and that, like, just the pain that comes with seeing like the footage that we've seen of Ahmaud Arbery and now George Floyd. And um, I think it's just heavy, you know? Um, and knowing how to process that, knowing how to engage, um, and then anger too over, um, there's just a lot of noise. There's a lot of yelling, um, sometimes really justified yelling. But I think I get angry with some of the yelling um, and especially yelling that maybe misses the big picture. Um, and I think even overwhelmed. Like, I, I think there's so much input in this time, too, um, which I appreciate in many ways. I've learned a lot through all that's been posted, all the voices that are speaking out, especially black voices right now. Um, but it is like drinking through a fire hose. And, um, you know, my husband and I were talking about how like all our free time at work and at home, like we're, you know, reading different posts and reading different articles and listening to different um, Instagram lives and podcasts and um, it's so valuable like we want to be learners but at the same time yesterday he was saying you know I've been doing all of this and yet and I haven't stopped to just like pray and reflect and I think both of us it was good yesterday to take a moment like take a beat and just like pray um bring like God's presence into this and believe that he is present and working in this and um, like process in like internalize all of this. Like I think there's so much work to be done at a societal cultural level, but there's so much work to be done in me um, and in each of us individually. And I don't want to miss that in just like focusing on, on all the input um, and so, 
that's, I've been all over the place, all that. Felt hopeless, felt hopeful, all of it. Um, and then I think being down, so I participated in the prayer walk with Shiloh Christian Center last Sunday um, with my husband and my baby. Um, and it was, I think, yeah, it was good to be downtown. I think it was good to be in the heart of some of what's been going on. And But I think, um, and, you know, in that, there was, like, pa- moments of just, like, power. I think the coolest thing was, like, we were walking alongside, like, a predominantly African-American church led by an African-American pastor um, in, like, to the state house, like, worshiping the Lord together and, and calling on him together. Um, there were moments of feeling tension. There were moments of feeling confusion. There were moments of feeling power. There were, there were, it was, there were a lot of emotions in that, but I think it was, um, I think the best part was just loving, like partnering with another church, um, in doing that together. How about you, Jenny? How are you processing and feeling? Yeah, I feel like I've just had this pit in my stomach, just constantly like it just it's like this constant uh yeah like I just feel nauseous all the time (laughs) and I think a lot of that is just that heaviness that Jay and Melissa were talking about um just feeling that in my body and then I think reflecting so frequently about how it is my white privilege that enables me to feel this now and not always, not every single day of my life, that I don't have to walk under that all the time. And, and it's exhausting and it's just been, you know, it's seasons of it and it's not my whole entire life. And so even that, it like adds to the pit because it's just, yeah, just that weight of, of desiring to, to engage well and desiring to stand in solidarity, to, desiring to do um, things that are constructive and, and part of the solution, but sometimes not knowing what that is and um, having, you know, lots and lots of conversations with people, some of them really powerful and some of them really difficult. So, yeah, I think I feel that, like what you are saying, just being all over the place. Um, and, yeah, I think just just the weight, the weight is real. Um, and, and again, every time I say that out loud or feel that, it makes me just feel my privilege that, that the weight is something I can almost like tap in or out of, um, and that that is not the luxury of so many of our brothers and sisters. And so just grieving that too. Jacob, for you, I know you were down at the protest when tear gas started to come out. How did you process that? Yeah, I think um, last weekend it was um, later in the afternoon, not, not, um, not up to the, not anywhere close to the, the citywide curfews. Um, but I, I wanted to go down there. I needed to go down there and uh, was kind of at the epicenter of where everything was happening for that day on that Sunday. And, um, it was a very interesting experience, one of the more unique experiences I've probably had in my whole life, I, if I'm honest. Um, 
have had a hard time not thinking about those few moments uh, that I witnessed. And, and what basically happened was I, I got down there and um, kind of wanted to survey the scene and people were chanting and holding signs and gathering in the street. And, and so um, the, worst, the worst thing I, 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 I witnessed was people just standing in the street. And there were thousands, thousands of people in the streets. Um, everything was blocked off, but there were no police. There were no um, nothing going on that I saw as any type of "Hey, we're in danger. This is not good," and um, and, and and saw in in a three to five minute span, um, armored vehicles come out and riot gear and Humvees with uh, members of the National Guard in them, just within moments just say, we're clear in the street, and shooting rubber bullets, and shooting tear gas, and I ran, I was in a large crowd running for their safety, and we were we jumped over a fence to try to get, increase the distance between us and, and these people that were, that were clearing the area, and I can certainly say that in, in my life, um, you know, uh, aside from some adolescent shenanigans, running from the police or or fearing for my own safety or my own well-being from police officers is or or, or national guardsmen, that's not something that I have felt with any type of regularity or consistency. And I think for those few minutes when I now, I never felt like something, I never felt like I was going to lose my life. I never, I just felt like this is a dangerous situation that I need to get out of. And it was, it was during those few minutes that I got the tiniest, the tiniest of tiny glimpses into what some people feel uh, all the time, what they feel driving to work, what they feel sending their children uh, to school, uh, what they feel all the time. And, and... I, I don't want to fetishize it. I don't want to obsess over it. I don't want to wear those few moments that I experienced that as some like badge of honor. Like, hey, look what I've done. I now I now I know what the black experience is like, or or minorities' experience is like. I don't think that at all. But I, I just think for those few moments, that that fear and that terror and that sense of unsafety really, it just made me feel uh, all the more that. People shouldn't have to feel this way, not from people um, that should be protecting them. And to me, that is a human rights issue. It is a gospel issue because our God created, we believe that God created each one of us in his own image. And people who should be protecting everyone should be protecting everyone. And that was my overwhelming takeaway from that experience was just feeling like this is not a tenable, safe uh, situation for everyone, um, and it's not fair. And that's how I felt. I felt a lot of that sadness, a lot of that fear, a lot of that um, almost deer in the headlights, crippled by um, sadness and and just unknown of of what's going to happen next. Um, but also invigorated and energized, um, not joyously per se, but but. Uh, feeling like this is the moment. This is the moment for us to speak out. This is the moment for us to take a stand and, and talk to our friends and talk to our family members and uh, encourage people and push people and challenge people to 
consider what this is and what the realities are for uh, people in our country and perhaps all over the world as well. So um, we can move on to uh, another question. So, well, I guess maybe even before moving on, um, uh, does anyone else have anything that they'd like to share about, yeah, just how they perceived or experienced any of the, the rallies or um, uh, gatherings or um, protests downtown or anything like that? Not about the rallies downtown, though it was impactful. But I think there's another thing that has shaped me. I mean, there have been a number of instances that have colored some of my perspective on the issue mm. in ways that I I hadn't anticipated. Uh, you, you had shared about your experience, and there's something about the experience and being there that brings some smaller degree of, of perspective. I remember a few years ago, I was on a panel at Hope City House of Prayer, and we were talking about justice. And I think I was one of maybe two white people on the panel. And seeing some young African-Americans share about their experience about being black and wishing they were white. I remember there was young one young girl. She talked about growing up. She, she hated her body. And I had never, I never thought that way. And my first thought was, why would you feel that way? Don't. You are beautiful and amazing. And, and please, do not. And then it occurred to me, well, she lived in a world that taught her that. And then, and then recently I was talking to a, an elder a black man, and he was, and I was relaying that experience, and he was talking, and he was brought to tears remembering when their daughter who was black, when they bought her, they were so excited to give her a black doll. And she rejected it. She wanted a white doll. And just the grief for them, the experience of that, that I, in my story, I, I can't, that was not my experience. But it, it brought to light the reality of, of whiteness and, and the culture that reinforces that dynamic, and we could apply it to not just skin color, but the names, naming your children, um, and you know, just one of those experiences where I just hadn't even thought about it in those, those terms. Our, our whiteness is not often pushed into our faces in that same way that that many minority people experience in a, certainly a different way than we have. Well, what about for uh, you two? Are, are there, have there been other things? Have there been other relationships or experiences or conversations that you've had with uh, especially minority voices or, or stories uh, that have affected you deeply or, or, or changed your perspective or helped you learn uh, uh, some of the ways to think about this or to see it from a different perspective? Yeah, I mean, I think for me that the biggest thing has been relationships. So when in the context of relationships where there's, you know, there's trust that's built and those conversations can happen um, in in a context of, of that trust, I think have been so, so powerful for me being able to listen and hear um, some of those stories, right? Some of those experiences that are not uh, true of my experience and, and just the value of, 
yeah, of hearing that and, and, and holding that with, with friends. Um, yeah, I don't know. I was on the phone with a friend this week and we just, I mean, she lives in Charlotte, so we're not close to each other physically right now, but we both just wept on the phone. And, um, and as she, you know, as she's talking about having these conversations with her girls about what it is like to, um, to be black in this country and to, she was telling me about this, um, you know, this lesson that her parents taught her and that she's passing on to her girls, like, just get home safely. And then, then we'll try to talk about it. Then we'll try to problem solve. Just get home safely first. And just, again, the weight of, I mean, her girls are young, um, now, but just the weight of having to teach your kids that you you don't you can't trust what's out there. You gotta you gotta get home safely, and then we can see if we can navigate this together. But the system um, is not necessarily trustworthy. And again, I think as you were saying, that has not necessarily been always our experience. And so, hearing that and listening to that, and it is always so discouraging, um, but also so challenging because it reminds us that there's, there's more that needs to be done. There, there are things that need to change um, so that that is not true. And those desires, right, are not any different than what any parent would have for their children, right? You want your children to come home safe. You want them to not be in, uh, uh, in danger or, or in the face of something that's going to harm them. We don't want things that are different, but there are certain obstacles and oppressive systems and things that are set up that, that we, may want, we may want the same things, but for, for people with different skin colors, they can have vastly different experiences of, of living within that system. And that's one of the things that I've, I've felt so strongly recently as well, is that we don't want different things. We all want to be to have the opportunity for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? If you want to go all the way back to that. But we all want the same things, and it's not fair that some people have extra hurdles to get over, to get to those things. What, what were you going to say, Melissa? I know you were going to chime in there. Thoughts? I, I, in some of your sharing, I was just thinking about... A, quick conversation I had on a walk with one of my neighbors um, when the footage of George Floyd's death was first released and you know we were talking about it um, and she was just she just said you know it's she's incurred like yeah two parts first she was just saying you know she has a 21 year old son and that's hard it's scary like and I can't imagine um the fear, like just carrying that fear, especially for like your son, your husband, your father. Um, but this is kind of jumping around, but I, she also expressed hope. And I think that's actually something I've been so challenged by in talking with like really most all of the black people that I've talked with about this in the last couple of weeks have expressed this like hope and trust in God and 
prayerfulness and um, and I'm not saying that's where every black person is at because I don't think we can just say like generalize to all black people based on a few conversations but I was so challenged by that because I think especially when I was talking to a couple of them like I was feeling hopeless and I was like I'm new here you know I'm new to really like engaging deeply in all of this and I haven't lived this my whole life and I'm feeling like tired and hopeless and like to hear that level of like hope and trust that God can move in this was very challenging to me um but I also would say like Something that I actually keep hearing over the last few weeks in my head is from the Poverty and Race Seminar that we did here a couple of years ago, a year ago, whenever. Um, and Robert Caldwell, one of the things he said, um, and I think it was a quote from someone else, was that a tragedy of our culture is that a white person can go their whole life having never had a meaningful, converse, meaningful relationship with someone, like with an African-American and no one will tell you that you've missed out if that's true in your life. And um, does that make sense? And I just think it's so true. <laughs> like, I think it's very easy to just live a white life and watch white movies, watch, like, read white authors surround ourselves with white people, in white neighborhoods, um, look at white artists, like in so many areas, like it's just easy to follow that path without thinking about it, not intentionally. It's just easy to follow that Be intentional path. or intentional. Right, Absolutely. yeah, totally. And, but I think it's challenged me over the years and especially now to be really intentional about um, changing that narrative and listening to white or listening to black voices um, and surrounding my putting myself in situations where I can build relationships with people who are different than me and be a learner in those situations and and learn to value a different culture and a different perspective and hear the stories of people who have had completely different experiences than me um, and like really believe that there's value in that you know and I, even in faith I think it's really easy in our faith to read white authors and listen to white people and um, to be intentional about like getting a different perspective that challenge it's it challenges the way we think about things, the way we see God, um, the way we see people. So keep thinking about that. And I definitely want to continue growing in that, but um, I've loved having more of those voices in my life, I think. And there, and I love the, I love the delineation between unintentional and intentional, right? Because I like, probably many other rural white people who grew up in Ohio, for example. I didn't have as many diverse relationships growing up, but 
I also drove around in high school, like listening to rap music and thinking that like that meant that I understood like different uh, cultures or different uh, interpretations of things. And and really, what I was doing was just sort of using and abusing in a way the the cultural expressions without truly opening my heart to anything like that. And a lot of that changed when I, you mentioned Charlotte, North Carolina, a, a, a city that I'm grateful for, uh, because we lived there for three years uh, as well, from 20, uh, 25th, beginning of 2015 to the end of 2017, or 18, I don't remember, 17, and we uh, knocked our iPads off. We, uh, I had the opportunity while we lived there to be on staff at a church uh, where I was the only, uh, I was the only there was a we we had another part time person, but uh, the whole staff, the whole full time staff, were all minority uh, pastors and leaders, and I was um, not. I was white. <laughs> I'm still white, and and living there and and doing ministry with these people and and. Uh, uh, being a part of a community that was diverse, that had black leadership, but but was was still primarily white, right? You don't have to be 50-50 to be diverse. In, in, in the United States, you only have to be, you know, 10% or so to really feel like, man, there's a lot of people different from me here. And it's like, well, actually, 90% of the people here are just the same uh, skin color as you as well and have similar experiences. And so living there for three years, working there, being in ministry, being developing relationships, friendships in small groups, in church settings, in uh, 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 relationships with other students where I was going to grad school there, all of those things, that, that, that three-year experience of being steeped in it, jumping in head first, wading into tons of things that I had no idea about. And I am so thankful, I am so thankful for, uh, especially Pastor Howard and Pastor Charles uh, down there, but everyone, all the people that were gracious to me and, and merciful to me as I walked around accidentally elbowing and, and kicking people in the shin with, with my actions and with my words and not realizing it, being well-intentioned, right? Uh, uh, intending to, to be part of this work and intending to uh, uh, make a difference to my white brothers and sisters, but at the same time, not having any any real experience, hadn't learned enough yet, hadn't spent enough time with people and with stories and with uh, primary sources, really, uh, 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 of the black experience, of the minority experience in America. And there were so many wonderful things that I learned through that process. And then moving back here, one of the things that I asked, one of the things I asked Pastor Howard when I left there was, there's almost no chance that I'm gonna go to another church just like this, or that I'm gonna work at another church just like this. So what do I do now? Like, I'm not gonna probably be in an extremely diverse setting. Uh, even just take the city of Columbus. Yes, diverse, but not not like many cities in the South where it was just way more. It, it, there's just way more diversity there. And what 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 his advice to me was: Don't forget what you experienced here. Don't forget the stories. Don't forget the perspectives. Don't forget how you feel right now, you know, this is late 2017 at that point, and when you go back, when you go back to your home, when you go back to your family, when you go back to your friends, when you go back to your white church that you're, you're more than likely going to be a part of, don't forget about us. Don't forget about the struggle. Don't forget about the experience that we have in church settings, in, in uh, school settings, in public settings, in small groups, in different things where 
they don't normally, they, 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 they don't have the same opportunities and the same uh, experiences that we do. And we make assumptions that everyone has the similar and same experience as us. And so that, those relationships were so pivotal and, and just absolutely changed my perspective and, and the way that I approach this. And, and it's, it's similar to what all three of us, all, all three of you guys have said, and, and, and now I, all four of us saying that relationships and, and engaging directly with primary sources, with people who are experiencing hardship, people who are experiencing oppression and mistreatment and, and segregation, people who have lived through. I, we, I met people who walked with Martin Luther King, and, and that's unbelievable to me. And one of the most important things to, to sort of transition into uh, how we respond now or, or thinking about uh, 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 us thinking about like what should we do now? What's the next step? I think one of the most important things, and 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 I think and Melissa, you mentioned it that there's been a million tweets, a million Instagram posts, a million articles written, and so many of them really wonderful. And and sometimes it's overwhelming just seeing all the different things that are out there. One of the most important things that I saw, and I it was last night or today, was that. Uh, uh, I saw someone had, had, it was just a simple, very simple tweet, and it said, if you ever wondered what you would have done during the civil rights era, or what you would have done during slavery, or what you would have done in, you know, insert any cultural, significant cultural moment, if you ever wondered what you would have done then, this is what you're doing. What you're doing right now is what you would have done then. And that just stabbed me right in the heart. <laughs> and I just realized this isn't just something that's happening summer 2020, we'll remember. Uh, but this is something that needs to continue on. This needs to, to find resolution. It needs to find change. And as Christians, we all four here are Christians. We're, this, is a, this is a video going out to our church we're leaders uh, and members of this church community. What is the what is the connection that you guys make? What is the direct connection, whether it be action or attitude or just how to approach this issue? What is the connection for you when it comes to having faith in Jesus Christ, believing the Bible, and now how well, how or why are we supposed to now care about racial injustice in this country and in this city? Well, really quick. Both really of you quick. two are trying to jump in. I, everyone's like, oh, me first. All right, go ahead. Uh, Melissa, you go quick. No, I and just then, want to speak really yeah. fast before we get to that. About yes. One of the things you said about like how you experienced being a minority in like that church. I just think it's important to remember like this is so like this whole thing is awkward and uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And like having this conversation, especially like being filmed having this conversation and no one else is in here like, <laughs> other than Danny running our camera it's awkward like yes. you know it it feels like I constantly feel like I need to tread really lightly necessarily because so. I yep. know I could say something wrong I know that I'm not an expert I know that I don't fully understand even when I have glimpses into it you know and I think yes. like I think that discomfort can mean like we shy away from. Yep, I don't want to be discomfort. I don't yeah, want to be like, uncomfortable. I like. I don't want to say. I don't want to start this conversation, or I don't want to go there because it's like I don't know if I'm going to say everything right, or I might like say something. You know, I might be offensive, and I think that could go with like engaging in relationships with people who are 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 different from us. But it can also go be translated into having the hard conversations with people that you know we want to challenge them to see 
race differently than they do. Like all of it is uncomfortable. And so it's so easy to just want to like run from that or feel like we're not equipped. It's just like sharing the gospel in so many ways. Like Mm -hmm. um, one um, like Instagram live thing I've been watching. Oh, happy Danny is great. You should follow that. Um, but she is a Christian, young Christian um, black woman who's done a three-part series on like how white people should respond. And um, at the beginning of each one, she says, perfection is, perfection is not a prerequisite for participation. And I just appreciate that because I think we can feel like I can feel this. I don't know about you all, but like I can feel like, okay, I need to figure it all out and make sure I'm going to say the right thing. And make sure I'm going to engage perfectly before I do anything. <laughs> um, and that's not, I will sit still and do nothing if that's where I stay. So, yeah, that's important for me to hear and remember constantly. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. And it's, that speaks to that truth. We're all on a journey. And being where we are in the journey, whether it's this or anything, you're learning how to cook. You're not going to be a professional chef. You got to speak for yourself. I just (laughs) you got to first, you know, cook that box macaroni. That's right, and then you can make your own. And then you, um, and so people having permission. Some people might be listening, and they're even personally wrestling with is systemic racism really an issue? That's where they're at, and they need to be where they're at, and they need to be able to engage and read. And there are great resources. I encourage you. If that's where you are, to be honest and process that. Um, other people, I think there comes that point where there's a lot of white fragility, and so we engage with this posture of defensiveness. And the reality is, is you're going to be criticized. If you're weighing in this, you're going to be criticized from many different people, some justified, some not. And we have to have thick skin that is open to not have it perfect, but we're, we're going to enter in with humility. And then what I've been wrestling with is that next, that kind of next level of ownership. And I think some of it, in my mind, I think, all right, so what, what is it we often really miss? People will dabble in it. They'll build relationships. They'll have friends who are minorities and think, okay, that's kind of enough. We might protest. We might do things. But what prevents us from really furthering the ball. I think one of the things is even our theology. Um, We're all familiar with kind of um, colonialism, which was kind of white uh, Britain um, spreading their kingdom around the world. And you had France, the Americas in some respects. We colonized places. Well, it wasn't just physical. There's also thought and culture and theology. (laughs) And to really get to that next space of engagement, it requires a lot of us doing the hard work of, in some ways, deconstructing um, and getting to the real essence of what is the gospel, what is the Bible, how do other cultures relate to it, and we often come into those conversations and spaces dominating it. So we might look at liberation theology and dismiss it out hand and the more you really read and learn and engage in that, there's actually a lot to learn from it. And as a community of faith, not like being open to wrestle and be shaped by minority voices and not quick to dismiss them 
quick to look at that. I mean, one great example is justice. I mean, the African-American church has been doing this for generations. I mean, <laughs> and then sometimes we get a little woke. We, we read a book and, oh, man, and we think we're going to enter in now and, and lead a I'm conference. Ready to be, I'm ready to be your white savior. Are you yeah, ready? Oh, my goodness. Yes, exactly. And they've been preaching on this for generations, and we've dismissed it. And then we, we want to think, all right, well, the answer is a multi-ethnic church, which I love. Multi, multi-ethnic church has its place, but sometimes what happens is we, we ask minorities to assimilate, take all the hardship and join us rather than honoring the spaces that they've created because white people didn't allow them to worship in their space. And so it's like that next level of real listening and, man, taking the hard work of what, what, what presuppositions do I even bring into these conversations that can be difficult? I um, this week have been back again and again and again in two, uh, two things. One, Isaiah 58, and just reading and rereading this challenge to... Uh, instead of fasting uh, in a way that's like symbolic only, so crying out to God, I'm fasting, I'm not eating, God, why aren't you hearing me? And God's kind of like, well, is this not the fast that I have chosen to unleash the bonds of the oppressed, like to, to do away with wickedness, to set the captives free? Like there is, there's an invitation to action in that, that, that God is a God of justice and he's inviting us into that. And, and it's, it's appropriate and right to lament, but our lament should lead us into action. And, and, and we don't grieve and then just you know, stay in our grief to the point that it's crippling. We, we grieve and then we ask the Lord to lead us into being part of the answer to the oppression that we grieve and the injustice that we grieve. And, and it's been so challenging for me um, to think about that. Like, what does it look like for us as the church to fast in that way? So, so, so to sacrifice in, and to be active. And then the other thing I've been thinking about so much, I read with my students every year, um, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s letter from Birmingham jail. And it's written to church leaders. He, he's received some criticism from them, and he's addressing that. And so it's, it's brother to brother, right? It's like we are people who believe in the gospel, and so I'm, I'm going to be real honest with you and open with you about, about some of these things. And it's excellent. If you haven't read it, read it. It's, it's phenomenally, uh, yeah, it's great. But the part I've been thinking about so much is he says, um, he says basically, brothers, I have to be honest with you, the, a greater threat to our cause is not the white supremacists, the KKK, it is the white moderate who are more concerned with order than justice. Like we want things to be, to have order and we care more about that than justice and it is so convicting. And then he says that, that this white moderate um, wants this negative piece, which is um, the absence of tension instead of this positive piece, which is the absence of injustice. And I'm like... Can you say that again? So the, the, we want the, the, the negative piece, absence of tension, 
We want to feel like, oh, we're at peace. Nothing's tense No here. broken windows. Oh, Property's just, all good. We're good. Everything is kumbaya. And he says what positive peace is, is the presence of justice. And I just think, yes, like I, we as the white church, like I think he's speaking to us in that. And I, I think it's, he's so compassionate. And I, I'm so amazed when I hear that compassion from people of color who have so much cause to um, to not be compassionate. And, and there's so much compassion, and yet it's like very firm. Like he is, he is telling us like, you can worship order and the absence of tension and, and then forsake fighting for these things, or you can embrace that this is about justice. And I think that that is, it's just been so challenging to me. It's challenging every time I read it with my students, but this week as I've been back in it, it's challenging again. And I think um, we've got to dig into that. What does that look like for us to be willing to value justice more than order? Um, because that is, that is what we have modeled in, in Jesus. Like that is what he has shown us um, again and again and again. And so I think um, I, I want to learn and I want to walk in that and figure out what that looks like in this moment. But I, I just, it's so challenging. I, so challenging. I think in that, one of the things he does, core part of his whole ministry was speaking truth to power. Mm-hmm. He regularly, the people who society, the power structures and systems of society oppressed, he lifted them up. You're not as low and unloved as you think. And the people who the power structure is elevated... They got the harshest critique. They, he, he, the rich young ruler comes up. He thinks he's got something. All the disciples are probably like, this is who we want. He has yeah, money yeah. and power. Yeah. And Jesus... Get this guy on our team. I, and Jesus... No. You know? No. Where's Go your sell heart? all your possessions. Give everything to the person who doesn't have. And then you will get it. And he couldn't do it. And I think that question is put before us today. Yeah. If we're going to follow Jesus, like the real Jesus, not the Americanized, tidy, let's not disturb the... Yep. Then it... Absolutely. Yeah. He was a revolutionary. Not politically, like many wanted him to be, but he spoke into the realities that everyone was experiencing then. And he continues to speak to us today and calls us, implores us, pushes us, challenges us, as I've, as I've been saying this whole time in, in other conversations. This is not something that we can remain silent on. And it doesn't mean that we need to go out there and, 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 and cause chaos and do, do as much damage to every structure that we can think of. But as Christians, if we remain, especially as white Christians, if we remain silent, we are not siding with the Savior, the God who came to us to care for us, who came to the, the outsider and came to the oppressed and came to the, the marginalized and said, you have value. You are worth my sacrifice. That's ultimately what Christ did. And I, I, I just can't, I can't continue to be a part of a, a community, and, and I'm one that I am fully committed to, that is not willing to at least 
look at that and and approach it and say, what are we going to do about it? How are we going to align ourselves? How are we going to put our time, our money, our energy towards caring, actively caring for people who deserve it? And and, and if Jesus is going to be one who who critiques power structures and 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 calls leaders to be good leaders to actually care for their people, then we also need to be willing to do that. No matter what political party it's in, no matter what office it holds, if you're going to make uh, uh, a a play to uh, solidify power by continuing abuse or continuing uh, systemic injustice, then you're not gonna you're, you're not gonna have my support. You're not gonna have our support. This is not uh, uh, the Christian camp that we need to be pitching our tents in, the ones that are continuing this injustice. Can I say one more thing to that chaos concept? Because I got a text just this morning from um, someone, love, not anyone at Scarlet City. So, um, Everybody's I want to call anybody out. Um, and it was, and, it, and it's a genuine, it's a genuine thought. God is a God of order, and I do not see this. Okay, Exodus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How how did God deliver his people? I mean, he didn't send Moses in and say, hey, Pharaoh, look, thank you for all you've done. Can you please let, okay, you know what? Take your time. I'll wait on progress. Yeah, right. they've been enslaved for 400 years, and we'll just wait for another generation to hopefully you mm-hmm. get progressive and enlightened enough to figure it out. No, that sounds God, familiar. <laughs> I know. God brought plagues. I mean, the biggest disruption in, in the beauty of it, he's undermining their gods. And yes. I think when you see some property damage, which is not okay, and I, I'm on a one level, violence and some of that, we, we, can't, we, we, we can't say that's the way, but it does reveal a little bit of idols. Yes. The idol of control, the idol of materialism, and when we're more concerned about that than we are yeah. our minority brothers and sisters. Or why they felt pushed to that point or why they sure. felt like that was the only opportunity or option for them to have their voices heard. If we're not going to engage with that, all we're going to do is say, well, you're not allowed to do this. You're not allowed to do that. I don't really care about the message. Uh, uh, just because this happened, I- I'm just going to throw everything out. And, and think of the economic realities in Egypt. Water turns to blood. How many people lost crops when the yeah. locusts came? I mean, this was not like, a, oh, oh man, this is a little inconvenient. All right, mm-hmm. well, back to let's get back to normal. No, I mean, you had a whole livelihoods that are disrupted. God disrupted them because liberation of His people was that important. It was all-out warfare on the system that had enslaved God's people, and here we are experiencing something similar. I don't think we like to think we're Egypt in that story. <laughs> no, <laughs> you know, right, right, yeah. right, right. Yeah, but. I, I just think the gospel has everything to do with this. Like, Absolutely. I think one of the things I cherish the most about the gospel, like I come back to again and again and again, is that Jesus came near. Like he entered the mess. Mm-hmm. And he entered the mess in my life and in the world. Like he left heaven <laughs> like to be in the mess because he cherished us and wanted there to be redemption and I mean even rewinding from there like there's a there's a wall hanging in my daughter Hope's room 
of Psalm 139 that says you're fearfully and wonderfully made. And like that, like God created each individual person as an expression of who he is and his creativity. And like we, we point to him and his power and his creativity and his love in different and unique ways, you know? And I think like, White people are not the only people who reflect God. <laughs> and I hope we're all on board with that as a church. Mm-hmm. But like, tr- do I truly believe that each different culture and individual reflects God and is made in his image and has infinite value um, and is worth entering the mess for? Mm-hmm. And... Um, but I think the gospel also invites us to look at ourselves. Like, there's a reality that there's sin in me. Like, and there's bias and prejudice in me. There have been times where I've downplayed the stories of others. Um, that, you know, I think we have to, like, I think the gospel invites us to be brutally honest about those things. Because I know for me, I can read all the things and watch all of it and, you know, sit here and condemn Amy Cooper in Central Park. But, like, what's in me? And I think that's part of it. Like, we can't change the systems if we're not looking at ourselves. But the gospel allows us to do that without, like, sitting in self-condemnation over it and only guilt. Like, we can we can acknowledge all of that. We can be honest and look at ourselves and see the brokenness in us and then see the cross where Jesus carried all of that. Like that if if we believe that Jesus carried all the weight of sin on the cross, then he carried the weight of racism on the cross. And he like here I am feeling overwhelmed by this small piece of racism that we're seeing. But, like, he carried all the weight of that. You know, like, he, he took that to the cross. And he, he paid that. He carried it. And so there's freedom for me now to take my sin to him and to follow him in entering the brokenness. And I think, you know, if we believe that we're called to love God and love people as we love ourselves, then we can be on that journey, not in like a performance sense. Like I think that even performance can get into this. Like, oh, if I post this thing, then I'll look like I care. (laughs) I see, I can do that. But like it's, the gospel invites us to do it in a way that like we are personally being transformed by the love of God. And that compels us to love people and get uncomfortable loving people rather than staying at a distance. Um, and I think it's not like, I think we can individualize the gospel a lot, and that's important. You know, we do need a personal relationship with God, but he invites us into like a bigger story happening in the world. It's great. Well put. Uh, we just have a couple moments left, so uh, just the final uh, thing that I'd uh, like to ask you guys, and, and if you can keep it brief, go for it, but if you can't, 
also go for it. But uh, so, were you looking at me when you said that? No, no, everyone. But we're right across from each other, so I'm looking at you a lot. Uh, So, final, final um, question here is. What do we do now, basically? Uh, what, what are some of the things that we as individuals, we as a church community, we as Christians, as white Americans, what are some things uh, that you guys are feeling, whether personally or, or things that you've experienced uh, or things that you want to do moving forward? What, are, what, what do we go from here? What, what are the tangible actions or, or ways to engage? I mean, I think we've talked about a lot of it. I think we've talked about lamenting. I think we've talked about listening um, and learning. I think we've talked about being willing to examine our own hearts and, mm. and ask God to, to do the work here and not just, not just out. Um, and, and then, yeah, I think we've talked about action too and, and the fact that there's not just maybe one path, but that action and and solidarity and speaking, all of those things are, are really important. And so to ask the Lord to move you toward a readiness um, and then whatever courage that that um, requires to take those steps. And again, it might not look the same for every single person. I think it, we, we, we need to look at our spheres of influence, the places where we are, the places we have relationships. And I think it's, it's right to start there. I don't think we... Um, but I also think there's, there's, there's a road before us in that. And so I think like Jay was saying earlier, kind of being real about where you are on the journey and like letting that be where you are and, and, and then kind of starting to take the steps from, from that point. Yeah, I think a few things come to mind as on, on the church level because um, there's like my personal life and then church. I think on a church level, we need to know what is the goal. And there's a lot of talk about racial reconciliation, and I appreciate that, and I think people mean well, but I think we need to move away from racial reconciliation and focus on justice. Um, there's reasons, and I be, we can talk about that. I'm sure we will. But if we're seeking to bring justice systemically, first of all, someone needs to know what that even means. And we're going to have a sermon series about that. Um, and Why don't we'll you tell talk- us a little bit about yeah, that quickly, Jay? I'll, we'll get to it. Next week, we're starting a sermon series called What Does God Require? And this is what we'll be discussing. Um, but I think as a church, we need to disciple people. It, as I interact with people on these issues, I realize um, their pastors and, and, me, and us, in some respects, we failed people. Yes. We fail them when they do not have a biblical view of justice. We have failed them. Um, and that when they don't understand their part, we have failed. And so at Scarlet City, we are, first of all, we're talking about discipleship in all its forms in this season. And I'm really excited about that. But justice is one of those parts where we want to disciple you in this direction that you feel under, you understand it, you understand the history, you understand the politics, you understand the theology, you understand the dynamics, and you feel empowered to enter in. And as a church, that's what I think our next steps are. Um, and, and I'm personally just, I'm so excited. I, it, I think the cool thing is, you know, I'm so privileged to um, have close friendships with some African-American leaders that are amazing and they have so much, there's so much richness in the, in the pursuit of this that I have been blessed immeasurably more than in any way my 
friendship to them could be a blessing to them. And I just want that for our community of faith, that, that as we walk into this, there's a privilege of walking with God into the pressing issues of our time. And if we ever wondered if the church would be relevant, I mean, we're like handed right there. And if we can't, in the Spirit of God, enter in, says something. says something about God. Yeah, I think, I think, like I said, I think, I think we have to start with looking at ourselves. Um, I think we have to start there and honestly kind of inviting God into that and, and not just doing it once. I mean, I think like anytime, I want to just be really aware, like anytime I see like pieces of prejudice in my heart, like I want to pray that God can uproot that. Um, I think the scary thing about like implicit bias and things like that are that like they're in there separate from like your thought, your conscious thought. <laughs> and so like being really aware when I see some of that come up and asking God to uproot that. Um, and then I think being intentional with relationships. And I think I want to speak to like I'm a mom and I think sometimes I don't know what to do because I have a baby and I can't necessarily go down to the protests every day. And it takes up a lot of my time and I can't, there are things I feel like, oh, I can't engage in this way because like I'm a mom. And I wonder if there are other people who might be listening that would feel that way. But I think in general, like we can enter in kind of like in the sphere of influence that we have and think about what are my strengths? What is my sphere of influence? Where, what is the next step? For me. Um, and as a mom, I think like the weight, there's a weight to that because the choices I make, I want to make choices that will uh, thinking or shape the thinking of my daughter. Um, and so I can make choices like having diversity in things we have around the house and the things we watch and the people that she sees us interact with. Um, and that's powerful too. So I think, I think sometimes we can have a hierarchy of ways to engage in our minds. But I think like taking the next step, doing what we can where we are, and being really just intentional about and thoughtful about like self-assessment, education, and like action steps that we can take. That's not to say we shouldn't get uncomfortable. It's just a kind of hierarchy of ways to engage. Awesome. Well, yeah, thank you guys very much. Um, uh, my, my sort of concluding remarks will be to share with uh, everyone from Scarlet City and, and perhaps uh, others who might be watching. This video is uh, going to be linked. Uh, it's not going to be pub, uh, publicly posted as kind of Scarlet City's public statement on this. This is a family conversation, and so we uh, appreciate you uh, for making it this far into it, but we also do want to share that there uh, are some tangible things that the church is doing uh, uh, during this time to uh, further our engagement and further our conversations about uh, life and faith and racial injustice. And one of those is going to be the sermon series that Jay mentioned. So for the next three 
Sundays following uh, today when this video goes up. Uh, we will be uh, covering Micah 6.8, is that correct? Uh, and talking about uh, the importance of empathy and understanding and action and, and, and being a part of this and why as Christians we uh, are called, why God is calling us to enter into these uh, situations. Uh, secondly, we are going to be uh, holding a few events called Watch and Discuss, uh, where we will be uh, uh, inviting every, and this is an encouragement to everyone, uh, but specifically what we'll be doing is we'll be watching the documentary, the Netflix documentary, 13th. Uh, that is kind of a, a succinct, uh, about 90-plus uh, minutes uh, documentary uh, talking about the history of racial injustice in this country uh, and where we're at today. Uh, we're going to be encouraging people to watch that, and then there will be uh, sign-ups for some Zoom uh, discussions, some online discussions that I will be leading and co-leading uh, some of those discussions for people to talk about how uh, they experienced that documentary and how... Um, they feel like they're now, um, yeah, just processing what it means to live in this world uh, and to be a Christian uh, where these realities exist. And then third and finally, um, we are going to put out, uh, 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 as a staff, we're, we're going to put out a resource list, a primary engagement resource list for people uh, of books and movies and documentaries and podcasts and articles, all of which uh, are uh, from uh, black and minority authors and artists and uh, um, voices where uh, we can uh, begin the work of engaging with uh, those who live this out on a uh, on a day-to-day basis and and so that we can uh, in that process grow uh, grow our hearts towards uh, our fellow our fellow uh, man and woman um, but other than that yeah our encouragement is to jump in is to dive in head first to uh, not neglect the importance of this conversation not neglect either the sovereignty of God to bring about this cultural moment this societal experience right now in the year 2020, the day that you're watching this, the moments you're thinking about this, God is making things happen, and we cannot neglect it. We cannot turn our backs on it uh, uh, because we are alive right now. We're not alive in any other time but right in this exact moment. Uh, So talk to your friends. Talk to your family. Teach your kids. Uh, challenge your friends when they say something insensitive. Uh, read books, watch documentaries, uh, search God's word, pray, right? We love prayer. We want to keep praying. We should all be praying about this and caring about this. One of the things that I heard this week that rang so true to me is that prayer is not enough in this situation for a Christian. And that has nothing to do with our, our, our value of prayer or our belief that, that prayer is significant and matters. But it also uh, speaks to the reality that we cannot sit on the sidelines and merely toss prayers at this situation. We need to enter in in the same way that um, uh, Melissa so well put, that Jesus himself entered in uh, uh, to be with us and to be for us. Um, so that is our encouragement to you. That is our challenge to you. Uh, we are 
just four friends having this conversation, but we really want this conversation to be happening uh, in our community. So we invite you to be a part of it. Uh, we are going to be talking about this and focusing on this, and hopefully not just for the next three sermon series Sundays, right? But this is we want this to become part of the foundational fabric of our lives, that we care about issues of justice because we believe that God cares about issues of justice. So thank you for joining us. Uh, thank you from uh, myself, uh, Jacob Beach, pastor at, at Scarlet City, Jenny, Jay, and Melissa. Thank you guys for joining us, and um, we love you. We're thankful for you. Uh, we're continuing to pray for you. So uh, have a great day. Go in peace.